we're super excited about this brand new series that we're in. We started it last week, and it's to a seed and harvest type of mentality. As a pastor, one of my primary roles, uh, roles, according to the Bible and God, is to equip you and prepare you for what's ahead. It's kind of like this, the, the hockey analogy that I don't need to just skate to where the puck is. Uh, we got to skate to where it's going. And here's where we're going. In the fall, there's not only a supernatural harvest God promises, but there's a natural one. I don't understand it. I think it's the get back to school vibe. Like we start going back to school and our bedtimes get a little bit earlier. Praise God, I need a little bit earlier bedtime, honestly. We start getting back into that routine of ordinary life. And guess what also happens? People start coming back to church. And so I want to prepare us for that, not only when we sit with our church family on Sunday, but how can you help accelerate what God's already organically going to do? Or let me say it this way. God's already going to be a part of it. How do we partner with what God's already going to do? This is the best part of Christianity. Of course, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But then God wants to partner with you. He wants to be a part of your life in such a way that he uses you right in your area of influence. So we've been in this series uh, called Real Life. And it's found uh, based on our theme verse that's Matthew 4.18 that says this. Jesus said something to us. And he says, Here, here's, here's uh, Jesus' first encounter with his disciples or who would later be his disciples, the Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Very important note right there. They were fishermen. Then he said to them, first words of Jesus to, to, to man, right? First words that he said to, as he's in his ministry, he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, it's interesting to me, out of all the things God said he's going to make you, we could have left that blank, and we did last week. What would God choose to make you? Some of us are like, he needs to make me nicer because I'm kind of mean right now. <laughs> and he can do that. Some of you may say, well, well God, God, God wants me to be better. And he can, but that's not what he said. So some of us would say, oh, he needs, to, he needs me to be holier. And that can happen. We can't be perfect, but we can allow Christ through the Holy Spirit to work his perfection in us. That's very true. But what God chose to say he's going to make you is effective. He said, I'm going to make you impactful. Okay, so maybe your life's not perfect. Maybe your life this side of heaven won't be pain-free, but I'll make you productive. I'll make you effective in the very sphere of influence I've already placed you. I love that about God. Because watch this, this is how he empowers us. So many of us have this mindset that we have to stop doing everything that, that we've learned in order to start doing something for God. And from a job title or from an occupation standpoint, that couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible says you are a royal priesthood. Like we're all a part of ministry. No matter what our occupation is, we have a part to play in what God is doing. And so he took their job title, fishermen, and he says, I'm going to put some kingdom purpose on it. I'm going to give you an eternal focus in the area you're already occupying and that is you're a fisherman. Now I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now watch this. God's first word in Genesis to man was be fruitful and multiply. Jesus' first words when he started his ministry to man was be fruitful and multiply. He just said it a different way. I'm going to take you from being a fisherman and I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's the same echoing of Old Testament and New Testament because we know Jesus did not come to abolish the law 
of the prophet in the prophets. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so we see that in week one we talked about, since that's our theological stance, that God wants to make us into something. He wants to invite us into partnership. He wants to make us a soul winner. Come on, say that. I am a soul winner. The Bible says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is... Now, I know I'm in a room of really, really smart people, really, really wise people. What do wise people do according to the Bible? They win souls. Okay, so if you want to be wise, if you want more of heaven's wisdom in your life, then you've got to participate in what God wants to do, and that is add life to people who are living but not alive. We got to add life to them by helping get them to a place where they can experience the God who loves them and has a great plan for them. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way the plan God has for them is what they would want for their life if they knew what He knows. And whether they have a bad experience with a church or maybe their earthly father didn't portray a heavenly father very well, God is different. God is love. God is faithful. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. So here's what I've personally done is I wanted to tie something to that, that concept of being a soul winner. So I got myself a little lifesaver, everybody. Mm. Who likes the cherry? Who likes the pineapple? Okay. Okay. So I got a little lifesaver because really as a soul winner, you're, you're saying I'm a lifesaver. I, I can't save a life, but I can partner with God so that he can save lives. And so I got myself a little lifesaver so that I could tie the picture of the person I'm praying for and trying to be intentional with to win to Christ. I could get a picture and I could put it in my pocket, but I can't leave it there because it'd be nasty and probably fall out and get pocket lint on it. And so, but I can put it in my car dash and can't leave it there because we live in Tampa. So I got to take it with me. I can put it where I brush my little teeth so I can do a little prayer as I'm brushing my teeth. That probably made me brush my teeth a little bit longer too. I, I can just partner with God and just remember that I'm a lifesaver because Jesus has empowered me to be fishers of men. Anybody else want a lifesaver? Anybody else want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mason, anybody else? I got a couple more. Anybody else want to do this? This is going to take too long. We got one for everybody. Come on, team. But, uh, yeah, don't eat your lifesaver. Let me remind you of this because <laughs> somebody's like, oh, I love my church. No, no, no. So, and we got another one for you if you just ate it. Maybe you need it for your breath. Praise God. But <laughs> come on, that's real talk. That coffee hits different. But listen, keep this lifesaver with you. And at the point that you get that person in a church service this fall, and when I say every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm giving you permission to bow your head and keep one eye open, everybody, and just peek over. And when you see them respond to the gospel, I want you to celebrate in your heart and then eat your lifesaver because we end this with Jesus. Come on, can we give God praise? I love being in a partnership with God. I love it. I want to get super, super practical in part two. So last week we made this theological stance that this is God's heart. This is the mandate and mission of both Jesus and now as his disciples, followers of Jesus, it is our mandate. But here's the challenge. If we're being honest, it's hard. It's awkward. And many times we feel like a failure. As a matter of fact, I read a statistic this week that says nine out of 10 times that believers share their faith or kind of step out of the boat and go for it, they have this sense of, I'm a failure. It didn't work. And what do you do when you feel like you fail 90% of the time? You stop doing it. But I want to encourage you with an awesome quote not to stop doing it. Look what Thomas Edison said. He said, I never once failed at making a light bulb. I just found 99 ways not to do it. <laughs> Isn't that good? 
And listen, my, my goal today is to give us some handles so that we will know how to do it. And listen, it is like a muscle. You do have to exercise it. And if you know anything about fitness, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. Okay, so we got to work this muscle, but we got to start in an area that's really important for all of us because we want to be wise. We want to partner with God, but, but we, we believe that I get that. But what are, what are some practical steps? What's the progression? How do you even start this process? Let's say, okay, pastor, let's say I'm going to listen to you and step into this space. What do I do? I, I would say there's five things that we need to get in our heart and they are progressive. In other words, they build upon each other. The first is crucial. You have to believe everyone wants to know God. You got to just get this burden and get this conviction in your heart. Every person on planet earth in their heart of hearts wants to know God. Now that, that you're like, well, how, how, how do you know that? Well, I know that God loves them. I see that in scripture. I see in scripture that God is partnering and sending me to show that love to them. And I know this from Scripture, they miss God. Think about that. They may not say it that way. They may not have the words to articulate it in such a way to say, hey, I, I miss God right now. But they miss Him. It's why they're spending their life chasing things that don't matter. And I've been there. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, He, God, has set eternity in the human heart. So not only will God... Uh, bless what you do and not only will God be in the moment with you as you do it but God has already gone before you and set you up for success he's put a God-sized hole in the heart of man in other words only God can fill a God-sized hole now what what do we often do I know for a lot of my life pre-Jesus and even post-Jesus I was still hooked I was still connected to the world too much, and I tried to fill the hole God wanted to fill, and only God can with everything in earth that you can imagine. I tried to fill it with relationships. There was a season in my life I even leaned into substances to fill that hole. I was medicating pain, but the Holy Spirit is the one that God sent to medicate us. The Bible says He is a comforter. So I was using the generic form of what God intended. And we see in Luke 15, the parable of lost things. We see this. They miss God. You need to go with the conviction and the faith and the encouragement. They may not know how to say it, but in their heart of hearts, because God has already set you up, they have a longing for God. They have a longing for a father. They have a desire to be comforted. They have a need to be loved. And we get to be a part of that with God. And you should say amen right there. Amen. The Bible in Luke 15 gives us three examples of lost things. It's, it first says the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then ultimately the lost son. The thing about the lost coin was it was lost and it was unaware. Like it had no idea. There's a, there's a lot of people that miss God. They're lost as lost can be. And they just don't, they, they don't know. Because here's the problem with deception. You're deceived. Somebody's like, well, uh, I, I got some blind spots. Yeah, that's why they call them blind Deception is blinding to truth. And if we can't see truth, or if it doesn't feel like it's getting into our heart, there's because there's a lie that we have believed. There's something the enemy has told us about God or about church people that's not true, but it was our experience. And now we've put weight and we put faith, not in God, we put faith in that lie. And now that becomes a stronghold of deception that keeps us from seeing the truth of God's love for us. Wow, that's good. 
That's the lost coin. The lost sheep was lost and very aware. Come on, a sheep, little, the Bible says we're sheep. We wander around. We're like little, you know, we get lost real quick. And, and the sheep, guys, if I could be honest, sheep are dumb. <laughs> they are low intellect. And I feel that way sometimes spiritually. I'm like, Lord, I mean, you would think by now I would get it. Come on, put the wheels back on the bus, Brian. Get it together. You know what you should do, but we have this propensity to just wander just like sheep. And the sheep knew that it needed a shepherd. It just didn't know how to find him again. And there's a group of people like that. Lastly, the son. The son was lost, aware, and didn't care. Some people are like that. They just, they're lost, they're hurt, and usually it's because they're trapped. They're trapped in the shame of their choices. They're trapped in the condemnation of what they're doing. They know it doesn't uh, line up with God's best for their life, but they don't see a way out, and so they just settle in the pig pen of life. They just settle that this is my lot. They're just more spiritual. They didn't have the past. They didn't get the same cards dealt to them. And so they, they don't understand me. And it's true. A lot of times as Christians, we don't understand. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. we got to learn how to understand before demanding to be understood. Right. This is believing they want to know God. Number two, got to identify our opportunities. Your opportunities to reach people is not in a future date. And it's not in a sphere that God hasn't already placed you. There are 7 billion people in the earth. That's a lot of people. It can sometimes be like, that's overwhelming. i got to reach the world. 7 billion. That's a lot of people. And we do nothing. But what if instead of reaching the world, we all just decided to reach our world? And if I reach my world and you reach your world, together eventually we will reach the world. But God will give you help. He will give you God moments. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago before we got ready to serve. He'll give you divine appointments, intersections, because God is always building his kingdom relationally. You're not where you are by accident. Now, you may have made some choices that put you in a predicament. And I'm not saying God calls the pain that you're feeling. Sometimes life is life. We live in a fallen world. And sometimes people blame God for what earth just provided them. But here's what the Bible tells us. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Like God is ordering your steps. So no matter if it was a bad choice, no matter if it was just the the fact we live in a fallen world, or, or life just hasn't panned out like you wanted, you're not where you are by accident. God has you there for a great purpose because he orders our steps. The Bible says in his heart, man plans his course. Like we wake up, oh, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to hit that lunch, get that coffee, make that sale, wash that car, feed them kids, feed them kids again. That's like eight times on my list. So we make all our plans, but God determines our steps. Notice this. It's motion, though. God doesn't order your sitting. He orders your steps. Are you taking steps? If you're not taking steps, God has nothing to order. This is why we say go to the growth track, get in the game, uh, share your faith, take a next step. If you want a different result, you got to do something different. This is not programming of the church. This is encouraging you to live the best life you can live even though we live in a fallen world. And that is done through faith in community, following God, trusting him that no matter what happens, he's got a plan and he's going to work it out. we got to reach our world. Another statistic I read this week was 26 percent of those who follow Christ have someone far from God in their own household. You're like, I don't know if I can share this with my neighbor. Well, maybe just share it with your kids. I I don't know if I can share this 
uh, you know, with that person on Instagram, well, maybe, maybe don't hit them in a DM. Maybe just walk down the hall and, and lead by example and share it with your wife. That 26% of believers have somebody far from God in their own household. And here's what I know. I can't change a heart. You can't change a heart. Only God can change a heart. But he wants us to be his ambassadors. He wants us to play our part. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, my work was to plant the seed. Apollos' work was to water the seed. But God is the only one that can make that garden grow. God's not asking you to do something he hasn't empowered you to do. But he is asking you to play your part. I may not can save a person. I, well, I may not. I can't. But I can pray for them. I can encourage them to lean into Christ. I can try to understand their situation without trying to bring all the solutions right out of the gate because I love my voice more than I love their heart. Mm. We got to identify our opportunities. They're right before us. Number three, come on, we're cooking now. We're going to get good. No, no, number three is enter their world. Key word there is there. So many times we go into the spaces where lost people are, but we come with an agenda. We come more with judgment than we do grace. And God says, don't come in truth. You don't have a deposit. You don't have an equity account in their life to make a truth deposit. You got to build relationship. You got to come in grace. The Bible says he who has been forgiven much loves much. So before I ever try to share faith, I just remind myself of all the sins God has had to forgive me of. Oh, my God. I'm not some guy on a stage with my life perfect and fully together saying, hey, take the pebble from my hand. I, I'm a work in progress, too. I'm just trying to play my part in what God's trying to do in the earth. And I want you to find your place as well. But we got to enter their world. And we don't enter it with our, our opinion. We love us some us in America. Oh, I love me some me. Remember the country song? I want to talk about me. Want to talk? I mean, we just, all about me. Of course, we got the selfie. What do you do when you take a group picture? Maybe it's not a selfie because you don't want to be like in that selfie category. First thing you do when you get that group picture, you're like, hey, airdrop that to me. And you go, Whoop. what are you zooming in on? You. <laughs> we love us some us. And that's okay. You, you should love yourself. You are made in the image of God. He formed you in your mother's womb fearfully and wonderfully, the Bible says. There's nothing wrong with loving yourself, but not at the expense of bringing your agenda into someone's life that you don't yet know. We got to enter their world. And when we get there, let me give you three things to do when you're there. Number one, add value to them. Yeah. Add a scripture. I didn't say that. You may not be at that step yet. Just add value to them. Every person, God put it in our hearts. It's a part of humanity. Every person has, has, has needs. We have physiological needs, basic needs for food, water, shelter. That's why we do Serve My City every month. It's to meet the basic needs of the community. Somebody's like, are you, are you social justice or spiritual justice? What? Both. Because how can I even share God if I won't put a coat on your back when you're cold? How can I ever share what God wants to do in your life if I won't meet the need you have when the Bible says, don't withhold meeting needs if it's in your power to do it? i got to add value to you. That'll create relationship. That'll create equity. That maybe at some point, God will open up a door where I can share what God has done in my life. But guess what? Maybe he won't. Maybe I was just a planter. Maybe I set it up, but Mike 
is able to reap the harvest of a seed that I got to plant, but I didn't see sow? Are we okay with just playing our part in the kingdom of God and meeting needs? People have basic needs. They have love and affection needs. Uh, what, what psychologists will tell you is every person's basic needs are to be needed and known. I need to know I have value, and I need to know that somebody knows my name. That's why we encourage you to put prayer requests on your card so that we can pray for you. Not generically, and we will, but we want to be specific. We want to pray for you by name because it's a need you have. It's a need I have, but we got to do it with an unconditional love. Now, let me define that for you. Love without conditions. Thank you. I'll be here all night. Thank you. It's not profound, but it's amazing how complicated we'll make something God wanted to be very simple in people's lives. We'll cheapen unconditional love with our pride to fix them. We'll cheapen unconditional love with our impatience because it's taken longer than it should. I'm ready to eat this lifesaver. But instead, what if we just came in grace, we just entered their world, added value to them, and just had the heart to say, hey, how can I, how can I help you? How can I serve you? I know you're going through a difficult time. Is there something I could do? I, you may, I don't want to offend you, but I'm a person of prayer and a person of faith. I really believe God cares about what you're going through. And if it would be okay with you, I'd love to pray for you if you have a prayer request. We see this in Scripture, five verses, Acts 8. The Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. Okay, so nobody's there. When you evangelize, it's just you. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, I can't pronounce it. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. So check it out. This dude went to Palm City Church, and we gave him a Bible at the Connect Center. And he's on his way home, and he's reading it. And somebody who had heard the message about evangelizing and sharing their faith crossed their path because the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the Isaiah the prophet. And here's what he said. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Was that difficult? Philip was just there being spirit-led, responding to a very practical need. A guy was trying to read a book he had never read. And someone who was in the process of growing and following Christ happened to be there, happened to be there. And he stepped into the moment, not with, hey, let me break down a theological commentary of what you're reading. <laughs> Would you like some Hebrew? He said, hey, man, you need some help? I, I, I'm learning. I'm, I'm reading a little bit. I'd love to help you. And the guy, it opened up his heart, and he said, come into my chariot. Scholars believe this is how the gospel spread to the continent of Africa. One conversation, one moment of having a plan, but allowing God to order their steps. One moment of just bringing the word of God to a place it wasn't yet. And that person of influence, the Bible says he was an important man, took it to a continent and it spread across the world. Could God use you in a way you're not even thinking about? Mm, I love this. So we got to add value to them. Number two, find their spiritual spot. This is the area 
that we have longing. A lot of times this area is in the area of relationships or perhaps it's in the area of our career. It's the place we hurt most that we probably don't even tell anyone about. It's the area that is hurting us most right now as we sit in this room. We're trying to focus, we're trying to listen, but we've got such weight and pain in our heart, we can't even hear what is being said. But the Bible says everyone should be quick to speak. It doesn't say that. It says everyone should be quick to listen. When we locate the place of pain in people's life, it's when we close this and open this. We show our humanity. If you're drowning, get a picture of this. If I'm on the side of a pool and you're struggling to keep your head above the water, do you need a Bible study? Do you need me to say, have you prayed about it? Or do you need a life raft? If you're drowning, you need me to meet you in that moment with, with the basic need that you have in your life. And that's what we have to do because you've heard this a million times. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The last one as we enter their world, we've got to do is we've got to use tact. Now, I would probably land here for quite a while. I love tact. I think it, it's so good just to take the high road, to, to, to just ask questions. Once you locate their pain, how, how are you dealing with that? I, I, can't, I can't personally imagine having that type of battle. I, I understand your behavior a little bit more now because you've allowed me to understand your pain in your past. I can't believe they treated you like that. You were just a kid. You, you didn't deserve that. How, are you, how do you deal with that? And that we would just have this heart of tact to just reach out to them and draw them in. It's like Jesus with the woman of Samaria. He just drew her in with questions. Can I have a drink? And then he told her, I have water you know nothing about. I love this quote from Isaac Newton. It says, tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. That's a great quote. Great. You're really quiet today. Can somebody say something? We'll be eating beef stew way quicker. <laughs> I love that. that. That nobody has been argued into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. On, That's what we like to do. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. Turn or burn. That just doesn't work. We, we've got to enter their world and seek to understand before demanding to be understood. We can't have this idea of dynamite fishing where we're just throwing sticks of dynamite, truth bombs, boom, boom, eat some, get some, you need some truth. Yeah, you need to learn the truth. It's all true. But our approach has to be done in grace. We have to have a careful, gracious, considerate approach to people as we're reaching out to them. That's why the Bible says in Colossians, be wise. In the way you act towards unbelievers. The Bible says outsiders. It's just a term for unbelievers. They don't have faith in Christ. Make the most of every opportunity. Watch this. Let your conversation. Conversations are two-way. It didn't say let your truth. Let what you wanted to say. Let your agenda. It said let your conversation be flavorful. Let it be well thought out and salty. So that you may have an answer for everyone. I love the, the part of that that says always full of grace. We want it full of truth. But the Bible says the conversation starts with outsiders being full of grace. Okay. Somebody's like, well, that's an endorsement. It's not endorsement. It's called empathy. Yeah. It's called I understand your pain. Yeah. I want to understand your pain. 
I'm trying to understand your pain. And at some point, I think I know who can help with that. And I'm going to love you and not try to fix you. I'm going to serve you and not try to change you. Because all that is for not anyway. I can't change anybody and you can't either. But if we'll take the right approach of just believing with a deep conviction that they want to know God, if they knew the real God, if they knew the living God, if they know who Jesus is and what he could do for their life, they want to know him. But then if I would leave that space and identify who's God's placed in my life that I can help influence and then take that step of faith to enter their world. Adding value to them right in the season of life they're in. Trying to locate the area they hurt the most and then taking that step of simply using tact. Number four, we build a bridge. So many Christians today are building barriers it, they're creating us and them cultures, right? And I understand, like, you have to use wisdom in this area. But we can't build barriers. We need to build bridges. Yeah. Paul said, whatever a person is like. He didn't say, there's a certain list of people that I'm willing to do this. No, I'm not thinking about me. I'm going to try to think about you. Whatever you're like, I'm trying to find common ground. Yeah. He built a bridge. Jesus built a bridge for us between God. God was holy. We weren't. It took somebody to build a bridge. It's called the cross. It bridged the gap between sin and salvation. And Jesus built a bridge. And in the same way, we've got to build a bridge, not a battleground, common ground. We're building bridges of battlegrounds right now because we like to fight. We like to argue. But nobody has been won to Christ that way. You cannot win your enemies. You have to make friends because you can only win your friends to Christ. You are church. Listen to me. Look at me. I don't, I don't know what your spirituality is. I don't know where you are along the spiritual spectrum. I know you're somewhere. You should locate yourself. Where are you today? And wherever you are, take a step knowing you are the connecting link between Jesus and people. It's you. He's done what you can't do, and that is giving them eternal life, paid for their sin. They can't do that. I can't do that. He's done that, but now he has asked us as his ambassadors to be his representatives and to build a bridge to find common ground. We see this in Jesus' ministry. Forty times you can find encounters with Jesus and people. Thirty-four of those 40 times were initiated by people coming to Jesus. And 85% of those were other people who already knew him brought the people who needed something from him to him. 85% of the encounters with Christ in the Gospels were initiated by followers. Are we doing that? Are we bringing people to the one that can heal them? Are we bringing people to the one that can help them? Are we bringing people to the place where they can find renewal and community and friendship and faith and hope for tomorrow and forgiveness from their past and joy in the moment? Is anybody hearing me today? Yeah. We got to build a bridge. Build a bridge. Number five. We got to stay active and attractive. Oh, I love this one. But I'm not talking about that outside appearance. The Bible says man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. We got to look beyond people's physical representation and just know that's a result of some inward pain that they have experienced in their life. And if we can look past how they look, how they dress, how they're behaving, and see the heart of God in them, that God died for them just as he died for me, and I can live my life both active and attractive. Matthew 5 tells us this. Let me tell you why you're here. 
Raise kids. 40 hours a week. Build your kingdom. He says, let me tell you, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in the earth. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. And when you do that, when you play your part, the next verse is possible. The next verse isn't possible without us all stepping into that place of responsibility and loving people right where they are, knowing God loves them too much to leave them there, but they can come as they are. They'll be loved and accepted, just like we wanna be loved and accepted. And then if we'll play our part, the Bible says, in the same way, let your light shine before others and they'll want your God. They'll see how you live. You'll break down the traditions of religion. You'll shake up that religious spirit, those traditions that have kept them at a distance from God in the church. And through your example of being flavorful and colorful and just full of life and joy, especially when they see what you're facing, yet you still find hope and joy in it. It'll pique their interest because God's already placed eternity in their heart. They're trying to fill it with things that overpromise and underdeliver. But God not only overpromises, he, he exceeds our needs. He meets our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not only does he overpromise, but he fully delivers. He doesn't always do what we want, but he always does more than we want. What does salt do? Salt adds flavor. Salt makes things better. Any foodies in the house? Come on, if it ain't tasting right, put that salt on it. It makes things better. What does light do? It makes things brighter. Can we be a church, Palm City? We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I hope you're okay with that. I'm on my own journey. But would you jump on your journey? Would you take a step towards Jesus within the journey you're already on? Would, would you say, yeah, I may be a work in progress, but I can make progress? And that in my everyday life, in my sphere of influence that God has already placed me, I'm just going to have one goal, and it's going to be to make things better and brighter. So tomorrow morning, Monday, when everybody's gloomy, it's doom and gloom, my case of the Mondays. You're rolling in with crumble cookie. Bam, what's up? You're coming in with Dunkin', double D. Yo. Dunkin' Donut, not the plain ones, the, the, the ice, give me that iced out. Boom, got y'all iced out, love y'all. Man, I just love you, man. God loves you. Enjoy Donut. That we're able just to make things better and brighter. Salt also makes things thirsty. You ever eat Mexican and then get home, you're like, oh, I need 8,000 gallons of water. You're like a camel. It created thirst and hunger. When people see your life, they see a discrepancy. Hey, he's not perfect. He's very sincere. He's very authentic. His life's better than mine. I know her past, and she's got more joy. How does she have joy? It creates a hunger and a thirst. And Matthew 5 tells us those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. God always fills. He always overpromises. If we'll just be salt and create thirst and hunger in people's life, if we'll just be light, light in a dark room, it's disorienting. 
There's confusion and darkness. But if somebody with that light will walk in, they just brighten up the room. They just help people see their surroundings. They just help people see what could be. And God is calling us to help people see the more that he has for them. Can we do it, church? Let's do it. Let's pray. Jesus, I tried to just paint a picture of what you did. What did you do? You loved us. The Bible says God so loved the world. You loved us. You identified us as the world. And then what did you do? You entered our world. I was just trying to teach gospel today. You left heaven and you came and walked among us. The word made flesh, made us dwelling among us. Lord, and you tried to meet us where we were, just like Zacchaeus. He was in that tree. He was far from you. He was hated. He was stealing from people. Did you judge him? No. You called him down and took him to lunch. And his life changed. God, may we, in the same way, identify those around us just like you did. May we have the faith in your image and in your likeness to enter into their world and try to add value to them just like you did with us. We pray you would help us with it in Jesus' name. Now stay in the attitude of prayer. One, give me one more minute. Because if you're here today, and maybe through worship, maybe through someone loving you in the lobby, maybe through God speaking to you through this word, his word, maybe there's a hunger that you now have. Maybe you're able to see something you haven't been able to see before. And that is the God who loves you. I'm not talking about religion, because that's underwhelming. I'm talking about the ability to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about joining a church or even attending a church more than you currently are. I'm talking about letting God do something on the inside of you that changes you forever. I want to give you a space to make an eternal decision in this moment. I would love for you to kind of grapple, get an image in your mind. Where are you along that spiritual spectrum? Are you close to Jesus? Let me say it this way. Has there been a time in your life you were closer than you are now? I've been there. I know what that's like. You're one heartfelt prayer way from bridging the gap. God wants to be close to you. And if that's you today, the Bible says we can do a couple of things. We can believe in our heart that God is who he says he is, that God raised Jesus from the grave. And then we can put that belief and we can turn it into action. And the Bible calls that confession, that we can confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. And that is Jesus is Lord. Do you want to do that? Come on, I want to encourage you if that's you today, on the count of three, just to slip up your hand. Not playing games. Let's do it. Let's take a step of faith. One, two, three. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, great. You can put it up and down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but it's your heart to God. Say this. Say, Jesus, today I receive you as Lord. I ask you to forgive me. I'm done with the old life. I want the new life. Thank you for making me a new creation. 
I commit to follow you and to love you and to serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, can we celebrate God? Let's go, church.